This podcast is brought to you by Gemmer. Collect, trade, share on Gemmer.com. All right, I'm at Brimfield, and I'm with Gary Summers. I should say the Gary Summers. How are you, Gary? Aloha, Martin. And Gary has quite a background. You've seen him on TV in a bunch of different situations. Uh, a lot of fun. And you have a Comic-Con also, right? Well, I do a little bit of everything. I'm in showbiz and entertainment for 40-something years. I've produced over 1,000 concerts. I've produced over 150 collectibles shows. And the event you're discussing is uh, Northeast Comic Con and Collectibles Extravaganza at the Shriners Auditorium in Wilmington, Mass., uh, summer solstice weekend, June 20 and 21, and that's Father's Day weekend, too. So this is an excuse for all you guilty parents to take your kids, and whether your kids are 40 or 12, you should bring your kids and come have fun at the Comic-Con at the Shriners. Now, uh, Gary, this is a question I always ask people in the business. Um, what got you started in this? Well, when I was about eight years old, my dad was a traveling salesman and would come home every week with a little cigar box full of campaign buttons. And he taught me about buying something for a dollar and selling it for a hundred. He taught me about history. He taught me about politics. He taught me about economics just from these little cigar boxes of buttons. And I got into campaign buttons. I was actually a member of the American Political Items Collectors Association at a young age and um, did that until, of course, rock and roll found me. And I started buying and selling records. I started selling my toys uh, at, at my own yard sales when I was 10. So, you know, it was sort of a, an evolution of uh, learning the basic practices of fairness and sharing and, you know, good for both people followed by dealing in things I enjoyed, pop culture. And when I started selling pop culture and records, nobody else was doing it. And this is the early 1970s. So a parallel career of being in show business, because I played guitar and played in bands in the early 70s and had a record store and a toy selling toys and collectibles and posters before it was hip and fashionable. So, you know, just keep going, and uh, I eventually evolved to uh, have um, a huge variety of knowledge. I, I say I know the value of 100,000 useless objects, because if you can use it, I really probably can't help you. But, you know, if, if it's useless, uh, it's collectibles, toys, records, things that are just fun and make you feel good, that's the stuff I've learned the values of and deal in. Now, uh, one of the things that always comes up, or a lot of times comes up is, you know, the young people participation. But I feel like you're in a segment that uh, attracts young people, the Comic-Cons and things like that. What do you think in general um, the participation is with young people? Well, the next generations that are collectors, you know, they don't like the stuff from the 1800s. That's historical and interesting and dark. You know, and for the goth kids, you know, some Victorian stuff would be good. But realistically, the generations like to buy back their youth. That's my job is to sell people back their youth. And to keep up with the nostalgia curve, which is my definite, my term for this, um, this phase that people go through when they acquire things that make them feel nostalgic and then at some point no longer acquire things that are nostalgic and they 
objects and characters and and, ob- and uh, categories drop completely off the nostalgia curve. You know, nobody knows who Shirley Temple is, and Marilyn Monroe is still popular. N- you know, Walt Disney is still popular, but Popeye isn't. You know, unless you like fried chicken. But anyway, the the nostalgia curve is constantly moving, and current. Kids who are beginning collectors, they like things for three reasons. Their nostalgia, which is 1980s and 90s. Decorative stuff they want to decorate their rooms with and, you know, their habitats with. And then their third is investment. They're trying to think of what they can buy today that they'll be worth, you know, money in 20 or 40 years. And it's definitely not the same things that people did 30 or 40 years ago. You know, you can still buy gold and silver, but that's very, you know, finite in the fluctuations. And, you know, 17th century silver to, to kids these days is just something grandma left me. So in that whole realm, what do you think is going to happen to the things that someone like myself have cherished and the people before me, like the 17th, 18th century silver and pieces of furniture? We've already seen a big drop. Do you think that drop will continue as as uh, everyone ages a little bit? Well, the drop will continue as uh, supply exceeds demand. So as people pass and the stuff comes on the market, each time it comes on the market, it, if it's not in mint condition, top-end investment quality, and it's just that mid-range, then the mid-range is going to constantly be dropping to get to the low end. Um, As supply increases in the marketplace, and you can go to an auction almost five days a week in New England if you're willing to drive two hours and see a ton of furniture, and I'm saying by weight, uh, you can see a ton of furniture sell at lower prices and you can get it at a consignment shop or any place else and so what happens is the 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 churn the mill of our industry where people need furniture great they like furniture that's nice for the price then they'll take it and until they get something that also fits style and we're actually competing in the furniture business with the furniture stores that are reproducing the the better styles that are desirable now so you know even though people can actually go to an auction buy a nice bedroom set with dressers and everything else that's 100 years old and built solid they'll go to ikea and buy the same thing or jordan's or some other place buy the same thing for three times five times as much and it's made of fiberboard Right, absolutely. And uh, and what you just said there, I agree with you a lot. And I, I do think that things will just go down to a certain level and then not go any lower. Just because, like you said, people need furniture. There is that demand. But it's uh, in watching auctions, there's like no way to really tell what is going to happen. You see, I saw a period chest come up that was absolutely beautiful. And it sold for the same price as a, a contemporary chess that was sitting right next to it. It's, it's really puzzling times when it comes to this. Where do you think this industrial came from? That's something that's really collected, along with mid-century modern. Again, it goes back to the nostalgia factor. So when we grew up, the generation that's 60 years old right now, that whole industrial look was, you know, every day. It was commonplace. It was something that we threw away. We cleaned out mills. We cleaned out these buildings. We threw away this stuff. 
not really scrapped it, let's just say. A lot of it just got scrapped. And now, because of people who want to decorate in that format, again, decorating is the second major form of, you know, nostalgia drives, decorating drives also. So when somebody like a Ralph Lauren decorates all of his stores in, mid in mid-century modern or industrial or pop art, all of a sudden there's now a resurgence in it because people see it and go, oh, I'd like my house to look like that. Bingo, bango, and next thing you know, there's a demand created and there's a smaller supply. Again, it goes back to quality. If the quality's there, then the style will drive value. And that's why industrial and mid-century modern are hot right now. There's good product available. Prices are reasonable. You can go to yard sales or estate sales and buy mid-century modern stuff for low dough because people don't know how to research it or understand it yet. Now, uh, being in this booth with you has been a lot of fun, and I've noticed that everyone comes in, they know you, there's a lots and lots of people that know you. When's the last time you actually had to advertise that you were looking for something for sale? I'm always advertising. So if you out there have something for sale, you should contact me. Yes, I'm always advertising because it's all about the flow of merch. You know, I mean... I don't have to advertise uh, in the same sense. After 13 seasons on Antiques Roadshow with over 80 appearances, and then I did For What It's Worth, I've been on probably hundreds of other TV shows, host my own talk radio show, and I appear on talk radio stations all over the country about stuff, because I could do psychic appraisals, um, that... People who want help with their stuff, I'm happy to help. I like helping people. I deal with a lot of people who are inundated with stuff they had no idea they were going to end up having. You know, it's a burden. And, and the worst part is they would feel worse if they got ripped off. So I try and help people who are in the position of, oh, my God, what am I going to do with this house full of X? And I say to them, well, this is what you do. You contact this person for that. You contact this person for that. And it flows and goes. And, and, and Or you say, here's the guy who's going to clean out your house and throw it all away for you. So, you know, I'm that's the job I do most. And... Out of that, I find really great stuff from for people, and, and it's dual purpose. I help the person who needs to get rid of it, and I help the person who's looking for it. And that's where you're talking about the auction business. There are so many auctioneers, so many auctions. It's constant. Every day there's five, ten, you know. And with the online auction, now there's hundreds, if not thousands of auctions that anybody can go to. So why does one set world records on prices and others, you know, holy cow, why did that chest go for the same as that other chest? It's because so many auctions are just unpublicized. They're not aimed at a market. They're strictly aimed at whoever happens to show up. And that's what the online auctions are like also. eBay, I mean, Fleabay. Fleabay is just a big, giant marketplace like Brimfield, only here at Brimfield, you have to walk and walk and walk and walk and look and look and look and look, and you may find an absolute treasure here. On eBay, Fleabay, you can type and search and look and look and look, but you can't look at the object. You don't know who that person. You know what that object is. You're buying blind. And the good news is, if you're a buyer, eBay protects you. You always win. But as a seller, it's a horrible marketplace. You cannot get top dollar because if 
You don't know how to reach the person who's looking for it. Search doesn't work. Search works for Walmart or, you know, it doesn't work for the little guy who's trying to make it. Sorry, Fleabay, that's the reality of it. And there's no real competition to Fleabay except for to post your stuff in Facebook groups and things like that. Right. Now, uh, in closing, I want to ask you about your um, psychic appraisals and how... How someone can listen to that. And you can listen to it anywhere because it's actually on the Internet as well as being live on the radio. So what is a psychic appraisal and when can someone listen? I do my radio show Calling All Collectors on 980 AM WCAP out of Lowell, Massachusetts on Tuesdays from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time and on the Internet at www.980wcap.com. And I let people call in. You kind of describe what you have and what you want to know, whether you want to know how much you can sell it for, how much it would sell for in an auction, how much you should insure it for, or if you should just throw it away. You call in, you kind of describe it and give me an idea, but most of the times I know what you have. I, I My psychic appraisals are about the value, it's about the object, it's about the history, it's about helping you make a rational decision about what to do with your stuff. Everybody wants to know what to do. What do I do with all this? Well, let me help you call in and I'll do my best. Well, it's great. You've been great, Gary, and it's been a real pleasure being in this booth with you. A lot of fun. Thanks, Martin, and yes, you have been definitely entertaining, and thanks for the pants. Thank you for listening to this podcast at antiqueauctionforum.com. This show was sponsored by Gemmer. Collect and connect at gemmer.com.